thing is that other jurisdictions are kind of looking at it in a totally different light. So in, in the UK, it's a little bit unclear on what crypto entities obligations might be. Whereas in uh, other jurisdictions like Japan or Switzerland, it's, it's a little bit more clear cut because they actually put it in their legislation. So it makes it statutory obligation as opposed to guidance. Welcome to The Wild Wick, demystifying tech law trends and educating about law in tomorrow's society. So today I'm joined by Erica Federis, who is legal counsel at a digital payments platform called Wirex. Erica trained as a lawyer at a top UK law firm where she was introduced to the area of blockchain and cryptocurrencies during her training contract. Since discovering this passion for the space, she has now written articles on the topic on Cointelegraph, Medium, Fintech Direct, and Blockchain News. And she also continues to follow the development of cryptocurrency regulations across the globe. Erica, thank you for joining me today on The Wired Wig. Thank you so much for having me. It's, a, it's an honor to be here. <laughs> How did you discover the regulation around blockchain and cryptocurrencies? And what interests you about the topic? Um, so the first time I got involved in uh, blockchain and crypto was in the second half of my training contract. So we had an associate who was looking to build out a blockchain and crypto kind of offering in my previous firm. And he sent out an email to trainees at the time basically saying, oh, are any of you interested in blockchain and crypto? Do you want to get involved in this? And um, I mean, I didn't really know anything about it at the time um, other than what I read in the press um, about uh, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies like that. But I just thought, okay, you know, I'd be interested in getting involved just because it was something different. And then as soon as I kind of got, uh, got involved in the space, I just completely fell in love with it because we did a lot of kind of BD work around it. So we met a lot of people in the blockchain and crypto space. And on top of that, it kind of gave me the opportunity to also look at the regulatory developments of crypto in the UK. So since then, I kind of just thought, this is the area that I really want to qualify into. And I just don't feel like I'll be happy um, doing anything else. So, yeah. Fantastic. And then after really discovering this interest, you eventually secured your job at Wirex. So could you explain a bit about Wirex? Uh, Wirex is a digital payments platform and we seek to integrate the use of crypto and fiat. So the use of our app allows our customers to transfer digital and fiat currencies globally for free, um, exchange digital and virtual currencies as well, as well as spending those currencies on a linked Visa or MasterCard. Mm -hmm. Okay. And how does this card really differ to other startups like Revolut, for example? At Wirex, we have offerings like the Crypto Back program where um, any use of your card um, in store or in select online um, platforms, you can get Bitcoin back on those card transactions. Um, and we've got an up upcoming feature to instantly spend crypto that you have in your wallet as well so with the mastercard cards that we're launching um, very soon there'll be functionality to actually auto convert the crypto that you spend when you make a transaction so you can hold uh, for instance bitcoin 
until the point you actually make a transaction and there's no need to manually convert that crypto to fiat before you make a transaction. So we differ, differ from Revolut in that Revolut tends to offer their cryptos via CFD. Um, mm -hmm. So with this model, uh, you don't actually get the crypto itself. What you get is an interest in the crypto, which Revolut would then manage on your behalf. So what that means is that you can't transfer your crypto out to external wallets and any crypto you obtain from Revolut will need to stay within their ecosystem. Um, at Wirex, we do offer crypto, which you can then transfer out to your own external crypto wallets, which is one of the main differences that we have to other neobanks like Revolut and maybe N26. So some of our listeners might not know what cryptocurrency is or might have just heard about uh, Bitcoin and might not know about other cryptocurrencies that are out there. So how does using cryptocurrency differ from money issued by a central bank? The way that traditional currencies are minted, so for instance, US dollar or the British pound, generally they tend to get outsourced to central banks and physical forms of money tend to be created after that. And there's this thing called seniorage. Um, so say a bank prints a $10 note, that $10 note would cost only a few cents to print. So you'd be making a significant profit for printing that one note, which in theory counts as income from that physical money that could pose as a benefit to the government since that amount should be added to the tax revenue of the government. And by doing that, it would then theoretically reduce government debt and taxpayer burden. But the real issues can really stem from this when it comes to maybe questionable political strategies. So there could be a risk that inflation could happen owing to decisions made by powerful politicians. If politicians could just print money whenever they wanted, say, for instance, to fulfill political promises that they couldn't fund in the first place, that theory then could be destroyed. And a significant amount of printing could cause huge devaluation in a currency um, because the more money there is in circulation, then the less it's worth. So examples of this um, are maybe the Zimbabwean dollar and the Venezuelan Bolivar. But um, in contrast to that, for cryptocurrencies, there's only really a finite supply of them uh, in circulation, which means it won't be subject to the same type of problem that traditional currencies might face when it comes to inflation. So in terms of how cryptocurrencies are minted, there's a process called mining, where in order for any data to be successfully uploaded onto a blockchain, um, any participating nodes first need to solve a complex algorithmic puzzle. But usually only one node can do this, so they tend to fight to get to the puzzle first. Mm -hmm. And the more energy a node can expend, the higher the chances of solving that puzzle. So once that node solves that puzzle, it then gets rewarded with the coins. And that's how cryptocurrencies are mined or printed, minted, however you want to call it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And how, how does this directly link to blockchain being used in a payment system? So I think it probably makes sense to give a brief overview of the current payments infrastructure first. Um, so when it comes to using your card as payment, you're effectively authorizing, say, a shop um, as the seller to take the payment from your bank account. And it would make sense to think, okay, I've made the payment from my card, um, the money should then go directly to the seller. 
Um, I think what most people probably don't realize, I mean, me included before working in the payment sector, is that there are numerous parties involved in a standard card transaction. So you have parties like acquirers, payment gateways uh, for online transactions, interchanges involved in the middle before the payment even gets to the cardholder's bank. And having all of these intermediaries mean that they each want a cut of their fees for the service that they provide. And the more parties that are in a transaction, the more time it takes for payments to be settled. So using blockchain tech in payment systems tend to provide a way of transferring money in a peer-to-peer way. What the tech intends to do is to improve the current payment system by either removing or minimizing the involvement of a whole load of intermediaries in the middle of a financial transaction. So the aim is to reduce costly transaction fees and to facilitate near instantaneous transfers. One example of this is the Ripple protocol. So certain financial institutions can sign up and participate in the Ripple network. Through their involvement in the network, it gives them the ability to then exchange a wide range of currencies very quickly and at very little cost, as Mm -hmm. that removes the need need to engage middlemen in transactions. Okay, so absolutely. And with the removal of middlemen and these sort of features of institutionalized transfers of money that we're very used to through, through banks, there's been this sort of negative rep associated with blockchain and cryptocurrency in the press. So do you think these claims are true and justified or do you think we still need to really give this a chance and perhaps as we're going to be talking about further, there's ways to regulate cryptocurrency and blockchain? So I won't pretend that there haven't been cases uh, Mm -hmm. where cryptocurrencies haven't been used for illicit activities and money laundering type activities. So, for example, a few years ago, the um, Silk Road scandal caused a huge stir in the press. Um, If... uh, You aren't aware of the scandal is where people were able to participate in criminal activities uh, via the dark market and they paid out Bitcoin in return for the ability to do that. Um, So I think the platform managed to raise raise something like $200 million in drug sales um, alone. Having said that, I do think people tend to forget that cash is still widely used to escape audit trails when it comes to participating in criminal activity but it doesn't gain as much negative press. But what's quite interesting here is that whilst blockchains can run without crypto, crypto itself can't run without the blockchain. And the whole essence of blockchain technology is transparency. So whenever you upload data on the chain, you get a timestamp verified record of that particular information. So, And essentially any node that's involved in that blockchain can see that. And that that in itself is an audit trail. So I, I do think that we need to give blockchain and crypto a chance because not very many people would know about the power of creating that audit trail. And people just kind of assume that, OK, that there have been instances where criminal activity has taken place with the use of Bitcoin, but you, you haven't really scratched the surface yet. Yes. And I think people forget about the the nature of blockchain, that you can't change it once it's in the system. Yeah. It's, uh, it's immutable. And that's yeah. the whole that's one of the benefits of blockchain of blockchain yeah. as well. 
Um, so how is cryptocurrency regulated? We, we've been discussing how it's so different from cash. So wouldn't it make sense that cryptocurrency wouldn't be regulated as it's so far from the institutions we know? Can you discuss a bit yeah. more around that? Um, so I guess it really depends on um, different factors. So for instance, which jurisdiction are we looking at and what type of crypto assets we're considering? So there are different rules for crypto that are classed as, say, securities and different rules for others that are classed as maybe exchange tokens. So if we look at the UK, for example, last year, the guidance on crypto assets was published by the FCA. Um, and this essentially classified different types of crypto assets. Uh, in a nutshell, according to the guidance, any tokens which amount to either security tokens or e-money tokens would fall within the regulatory par uh, parameters of the FCA and other types of tokens like exchange tokens. So by exchange tokens, we mean to say crypto that can be used for uh, payment of goods and services. Mm -hmm. Those are currently unregulated uh, pursuant to UK crypto rules. What's interesting is that other jurisdictions are kind of looking at it in a totally different light. So in, in the UK, it's a little bit unclear on what crypto entities obligations might be. Whereas in uh, other jurisdictions like Japan or Switzerland, it's, it's a little bit more clear cut because they actually put it in their legislation. So it makes it statutory obligation as opposed to guidance. So there's a little bit more clarity with them, but that kind of shows you just how different the approaches are with those jurisdictions. Yes. And, and can you imagine there ever being a more uniform approach? to something like cryptocurrency and, and its regulation? So that's that's actually really interesting that you mentioned that because um, there, there are some draft proposed EU regs um, at the moment for the crypto market specifically, providing that sort of uniformity that you mentioned earlier, but specifically it's looking at kind of launching a, a pilot scheme using blockchain tech and financial markets and looking at maybe providing a more comprehensive set of regulations for crypto assets, uh, which includes stable coins as well. And it, it also looks at kind of clarifying that definition of financial instruments under MIFID II to include those tokens that are issued by means of distributed ledger technology. In my opinion, those three issues are actually some of the uh, underpinning issues that we haven't really properly considered on a regulatory basis. So it's really good to see that the EU is moving forward in that respect. Um, so hopefully once all of that has been implemented, we'll see some sort of kind of uniform approach um, to regulating crypto. But I guess at the moment it's a case of watch the space. <laughs> yes, no, no, absolutely. And I think your answer just then has partially answered this, but how do you think the space will evolve in the next three to five years? There's also the fact that there are more and more crypto-based institutions that are cropping up and engaging in uh, crypto-related activity. And that, that activity in itself will make it increasingly more, more difficult for regulators to ignore um, the crypto industries. So just kind of looking at that, there will probably be more regulatory developments, I think, not just in the EU, I think it will be in other jurisdictions as well in other continents. But I, I feel like maybe there are some, some countries that are a bit more advanced than us anyway. So mm -hmm. it, it might be a case of us playing catch up. Yes, there's actually a cafe here in Prague that only accepts cryptocurrencies. Oh, wow. 
That's really interesting. (laughs) And do you see ATMs? They're not everywhere by any stretch of imagination, but you do see one or two in the center of Prague that um, that are cryptocurrency ATMs. Oh, wow. That's really cool. Do you have a favorite news story or innovation in the cryptocurrency space recently and why? Um, So I do, but it's not necessarily crypto, but blockchain, uh, actually blockchain. So I, I've read recently that McDonald's joined a blockchain pilot uh, for the purposes of improving transparency when it comes to their supply chains. So mm-hmm. I think this is really interesting because it is a big indication that big names like McDonald's are interested in uh, the advantages that blockchain tech has to offer. And that can only really be a good thing, I think, moving forward when it comes to proper adoption of blockchain and maybe even crypto later down the line. That's really interesting. And I think that could be really impactful in fashion as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You're not always going to know whether your supplier actually does make use of these um, sweatshops or they're not. They could easily just say to you, oh, no, we definitely don't use them. But, you know, behind the scenes, it could be it could be a thing. We You just mm-hmm. never know. So I think that's what the uh, blockchain tech and the supply mm-hmm. chain industry is trying to tackle. I'm more on the crypto side of things, but it, I just thought it was really interesting that McDonald's have done that. Absolutely. And especially such a big name. I don't know, at least the press I see is typically either very confused <laughs> around yeah. the technology or fearful of it. Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah. It's good that they're being positive about it. So in your role as legal counsel at Wirex, what, what do you currently do? We do tend to look after the in-house side of things um, and not just, you know, obviously we are a crypto company, but we also have the corporate commercial aspects of the business that we do tend to look after. So, for instance, recently we've just had a um, collaboration with Crowdcube uh, for some fundraising uh, for Wirex. So we had to deal with the behind the scenes of that and just making sure that all of that um is kind of compliant with the regulations that we need to comply with and you know we're not kind of bypassing or cutting any corners so with the things that i have also been involved with in the past i have dealt with some crypto crypto loan uh, agreements and some derivatives types of agreements we also deal with a lot of regulatory issues um uh, at wirex so not just kind of make sure that we we obtain the licenses uh we need where we need them on top of that as well being in a company like where it's where it's so forward thinking everyone's always thinking about new products that we could Mm -hmm. launch you know but i guess the problem with that is that innovation and regulation don't necessarily mix so where you know one day someone really great at wireless will say oh maybe we can offer this but for us it's kind of like okay that sounds really great but we need to actually come up with a legal risk assessment first to see whether or not we can offer this product. Um, so it, it's a mixed bag of work, um, but it's primarily, it primarily surrounds uh, cryptocurrency type stuff. So it's, it's all very interesting. <laughs> it sounds really interesting. And did, did you always see yourself as working in-house? Um, I wasn't, do you know, I really wasn't sure because all I knew was that Okay, I got involved in blockchain and crypto stuff when I was a trainee in private practice, and I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And there's 
just not very many career options, I think, at the moment um, in law, particularly if you want to get involved in blockchain and crypto. Um, I didn't even really know um, about what working in-house would entail. I just remember kind of thinking, I know this is what I want to go into. Um, I don't mind which institution it is, but mm. I'm open to going anywhere. But I guess at at this stage, I think private practice firms are not necessarily offering that blockchain crypto type work to juniors in particular, I suppose. Um, I know there are a lot of private practice firms that do delve in fintech and they do uh, some blockchain and some crypto and stuff. But I think because it's so, in a way, very specialist, it, it's not something that you would immediately think, oh, we need a junior for this, if, if that makes sense. For me, actually going in-house made a lot more sense because it was, okay, well, this is a blockchain and crypto company. So by logic, they would deal primarily with blockchain and crypto stuff. So that's that's really what attracted me to working in-house. But I, I certainly didn't know that I was going to end up in-house. It's interesting because I think a lot of people who work in-house, they didn't think they would necessarily end up in-house. No, absolutely. So I, I literally had no idea until I found my job. I really didn't have a clue. So. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I was the same <laughs> really until I graduated. Yeah. I wasn't very aware yeah. of this other route as well. In private practice, you know, they have actual... Um, HR teams that deal with uh, trainees specifically and kind of developing those um, coming straight from uni or maybe had paralegal before, um, but but very, very junior lawyers. Whereas in-house, um, usually the need would be, oh, we really need someone who can run with things straight away. So I think that's probably why it's difficult to get a junior role in-house. But I mean, they're out there. They're out there. You just got to kind of really try and look for them. (laughs) So what advice would you have for any law students or any other students actually looking to learn more about this space? Obviously, I mentioned earlier, I was really lucky to have been involved in some of that type of work when I was a trainee. But mm-hmm. to almost supplement my knowledge and to kind of for, for me to actually know what was going on, um, I was looking at uh, crypto or blockchain-based kind of websites like hackernoon.com is good and blockgeeks.com is actually really good as well. Mm-hmm. Um, some really seriously useful information on there. Maybe beginner's guides they can be really uh, reader friendly. I think the problem with um, some of the information out there is a little bit too techy, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. it's difficult to digest um, unless you really have a foundation knowledge of all of it. I think it's also useful to keep on top of crypto and blockchain news um, from reputable sources like coindesk.com or cointelegraph.com. And I mean, it's gonna sound like it's not particularly legit. And I didn't really think this in the first place, but I tend to look through Reddit, actually, for um, some information as well. It's actually very, very useful. Obviously, take it with a pinch of salt. There are certain information on there that might not be accurate. So if you find something that you think is particularly interesting, maybe just do a quick Google search to see whether or not it is actually true. And usually it will come up on the top of your searches. So it's a good good way to um, keep on top of stuff before the mainstream press get a hold of it. And what have you been reading, watching or studying lately? And do you have any recommendations? Um, so my partner and I have been really into Dirty Money, actually. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't know if 
you know, it's a series on Netflix. Um, but the Wells Fargo episode in particular, I thought was really interesting because um, it, it shows just how much goes on behind the scenes in private banks that we would generally have no idea about, really. And I think it's, it's actually a really useful um, series for anyone who wants to better understand how the financial system has developed into what it is now. And I, I mean, a biased point again, but I think it also gives a better argument for why crypto should be adopted moving forward. I'm Annabelle Pemberton, and you have just listened to the Wide Wig podcast, available on Spotify, iTunes and Apple Podcasts. As always, if you liked what you just heard, be sure to follow this account on Spotify and follow the Wired Wig on Instagram for the latest tech law news and updates.